This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. We're the Houston Oilers, Houston Oilers, Houston Oilers number one. Yes, we're the Houston Oilers, Houston Oilers, Houston Oilers number Hello, everyone. You're listening to Battle Red Radio. I'm Matt Weston tonight. I'm joined by one of the, I guess, I don't know if Fuse right word, but one of the best writers we have at Battle Red Blog. If you read the website, you know him as Kenneth. How are you doing tonight, man? Doing good. I'm blushing from that intro. Well, that's, you have to. You know, that's what, uh, that's what keeps the guests coming back and then also keeps the listeners listening. This is, I, we try to be, I try to be a beacon of positivity and of love and warmth over here. Well, we definitely need it. Especially now the season's over and we can just you know, bask in the murky unknown. But we're not going to talk about the unknown. I know the offseason is you know already pretty much here and free agency is going to start around like March 14th or so officially. But before then, I've been writing some season review articles. And another way to review the season is to talk specifically about the Texans' 2019 NFL draft class. And so entering the draft last year, one thing was really clear. The Texans need to improve on their offensive line. They were last in adjusted sack rate. They're last in pressure rate. They're one of the worst teams in the league in adjusted line yards. They were like 22nd in pass block win rate, which is the only statistic I could find that was a little bit more positive. I thought the talent for the offensive line wasn't you know, league worst. I didn't think it was great. But I think also the mismanagement of the resources too really hurt the offensive line as well. And I'll never forget um, Sancho Henderson breaking his leg and Davenport playing right tackle and Rankin playing oh, left okay. tackle and just ruining both those players' careers in Houston and just one decision, and uh, which even led to Blaine Gabber in a fake punt, you know, being the Texans in week two and, and everything else that kind of stemmed from that as well too. But last year we talked about the offensive line and, and the prospects and, and guys that we liked and because it was an obvious need, it was pretty much that and cornerback. And so the Texans had the 23rd overall pick. They had 54 and 55 in the second round, one of which they received from Seattle to train Dwayne Brown. They had the number 86 pick in the third round, 161 in round five, 195 in round six, and then 220 in round seven. So what we'll do is we'll just kind of go through last year's draft and uh, from rounds one through seven for Houston and the players that they took. Now the kind of the infamous thing that occurred was in round one, was that the offensive tackle slid. Jenna Williams was you know, my favorite offensive tackle. I think he was yours as well, too. Or actually, I don't no, think that, he was yours. I, I was all over Cody Ford, do you remember? Yeah, From yeah. Oklahoma. Yeah, that's what it is. I wanted him. Yeah, and, and Ford was, like, Ford is one of the better run blockers for the tackle position. He just can't pass that. Uh, he has, or he hasn't learned how to pass that well enough in Buffalo. And that's what happens every play in offense like Oklahoma, where it's, Everything is two point stances, one slide step, and contacts made, and you don't actually have to deal with the things that NFL guys deal with. But uh, but Jonah Williams slid to eleven to Cincinnati, and then nothing happened after that. And there were guys that I really liked available, 
and Andre Diller and Juwan Taylor and Caleb McGarry. No, you disagree with that. But even like Dalton Risner is there and he played guard. And so Houston gets ready to select and the Ravens are picking at 21st. They're picking at, or the Ravens are picking at 22nd. Houston's picking at 23rd. And the Eagles trade a fourth and a sixth to move up and grab Dillard. And the Texans pick immediately after that and select Titus Howard. So kind of looking back on last year's draft night, Kenneth, are you you know glad that kind of played out like that where the Texans were able to get Titus Howard, not taking Andre Dillard? And you kind of think it was a blessing in disguise that the Eagles did that. And do you think the Texans even wanted to take Dillard to begin with if he was available for them at 22 overall or 23 overall? I remember sitting there in the Uber coming from work and just being like, oh my God, they're falling. Not just one, but like all of them are falling. Like Andre Dillard, Jawan Taylor, Caleb McGarry was falling. I thought Titus Howard was more of a second round pick. And they, they were all going down and down because they the teams in the first round were just going in on the defensive ends, the defensive tackles. And we're sitting there, the pick before us, see the Eagles trade, and everyone knew what was happening. Um, I wanted Andre Dillard. I think that he would he would have been our left tackle. That maybe could have avoided us taking Laramie Tunsil in a trade, and we could actually have a first-round pick this year and next year. Um, overall, I am excited for Titus Howard. I think he has like the quote-unquote intangibles to be a good tackle. I think he's going to be stuck at right tackle, but like he played well. He looked good. If you read through my sack trackers, he only had about – two and a half sacks against him uh, the entire year that he was healthy. So he played well. It just is like, what can we do with him moving forward? Yeah. And I think what's important to think about as we go through, you know, the, the sharping and, and uh, Howard selection is like the context involved with it. Um, you know, I know, I know Dillard, a lot of people kind of points to that Minnesota game that Dillard's not very good and that sort of thing, but Dillard's a left tackle. He's played left tackle like his entire life. And then the really bad games he had were playing right tackle position that he doesn't play. And like imagine, you know, like trying to walk backwards while eating with your left hand and then also try to deal with like, uh, you know, the, the biggest, strongest person you've ever met in your entire life running head on at you. And so like it's yeah, an entirely different, yeah, it's an entirely different set of skills, you know, playing at the left side compared to the right side. And so I do think it's kind of important to remember that, you know, I think Howard's a good player. I think Sharping's a good player. They both had good seasons. But Howard couldn't play left tackle. Sharpen couldn't play right tackle. And then because of that and the Khalil signing, kind of let that spiral effect that leads to Houston. You know, train two first-round picks and a second-round pick. And Davenport for, you know, Tunsil and Stills eventually as well too. Um, so with Howard, I think what, whenever I went back and whenever I watched him at the time, I didn't really understand him because I couldn't. there was just that Auburn game. And none of the blocks he really made were NFL caliber. He played in a small that school. That was it. It was the Auburn game, and that was that was the only game that mattered. Yeah, and everything was like quick passing. It was out immediately. But he was big and wide and quick. But it was just he was a really big unknown. And so I didn't like the Howard pick because why take someone in the first round who you don't have a lot of video on, who's, been, who's from a small school. I don't think Howard even thought he'd be picked in the first round. I know he was presser. He wore like a red polo shirt with a blue polo horse on it. And even he, he like wasn't he wasn't even prepared for the occasion at all whatsoever. And so like I think Howard had a much better rookie season than I expected him to be uh that year. But the main my big gripe with it at the time was just that all these other guys here, you know, I really personally enjoyed. And also I know that they can play, you know, offensive tackle uh and right tackle specifically immediately. And I didn't know that about Howard and he came and actually played pretty well. 
Um, so as a, do you think he had a successful 2019 season? I know he had an MCL injury. He didn't start week one. He started week two at left guard and then moved over to right tackle in week three against Carolina. Sharping took over at left guard. Uh, but would you constitute that as a successful season? I think he had this season that he was meant to have. You know, he, I think what this team really saw when he played the, the senior bowl was a guy that they can mold. Um, he showed a ton of promise in his first season. Uh, it is always an interesting getting moved around and around uh, on the offensive line, but he, he kind of shows the technique and then it, all his next steps are going to have to be like refining, 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 taking what he can do and just getting better at that. Like his number one issue is speed. He can't handle speed. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you watch the, the game against the Chargers, I was actually there in L.A. Joey Bosa had a field day with him. Just beating him around the edge, he just get get from point A to point B faster. So that's always going to be something, especially if you're that big. But you know, overall, I think he had a good first year. But it's not just the first year; he's got to build upon that every single season. Yeah, that's a great point. That's kind of what the biggest issue. Well, that's kind of the biggest issue I saw with him is just like he's wide and he's strong and he's big, but he so doesn't. Big. He doesn't. Yeah, it's just like he wins a lot of pass blocks because it's hard to get around him. But his pass it isn't very good. And what you see, like I even saw him take some vertical sets, and that reminded me of Derek Newton, you know, five years ago or six years ago or whatever, when everybody hated him, his like second year or third year. And you you would like to have, you don't want to have your tackle vertical pass set, but if he can't get to the point attack quick enough, it's the next best option you had. And he was even doing things like that. And he also just doesn't meet guys at the point of attack well uh, head on. He has to turn a lot. And so the turning opens up the door for the rush to go outside or inside. And that's going to be an issue, you know, going forward. But be, just because he's so wide and so hard to get around, he is able to win a lot of pass blocks from it. But I don't like his set very much. I don't like his quickness very much as a pass blocker. But he just has, like, the body of an offensive lineman. And that a lot of times that's more important than anything because football is a game, you know, based around physical attributes. No, he definitely has the physique. And I think he has the speed. I still think he has what – he hasn't put it all together. Uh, you know, his hands and his feet aren't working together at the same time. He does a good job when he's like under pressure, but there, there's just this inconsistency in his game right now. And I think it's just for, coming from a small school, you know, now he's going to have an entire offseason go through everything. So, I mean, this is the most important like three, four months in his entire career is, you know, he's coming off an injury. How is he going to recover? How is the technique going to improve? Mm-hmm. And I also think his base is too narrow, too. And like if his base was wider and he took longer steps, um, he'd be able to get out there quicker. He also oversets too, and he's able to get beat by inside moves. I think the Texans, you know, coaching staff kind of did a good job with him too. And throughout the entire offensive line by creating easy blocks for him. So they'll line him up tied. They'll give him different stances to use to minimize the angles as much as possible and the distance he has to move in the run game. Um, and he wasn't asked with doing a whole lot. Kind of like Lambert Tensel. Like Tensel wasn't asked no, to do think, a whole yeah. lot. Most teams put the 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 uh, their best pass rusher against Larry Tunsil this season. Yeah, yeah, I think I think so as well too. Which is weird because you should just put him against that right tackle. I think uh, smart teams kind of figured that out. I think Buffalo did a good job doing that in the postseason too. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, like I I don't like I don't like, I don't like Howard very much as an outside zone blocker. He wasn't particularly good at last year, but he was a good one versus one drive blocker. Um, he also has problems whenever guys get their hands on first on him. And that happens too often where guys get their hands on his chest quickly and control the block and are able to you know, sit and read and make plays from there as well. 
But I think the biggest thing with Howard is that, like you mentioned, he's from a small school. He has like the physique, he has the talent, he has the body, and he showed that this past year. Um, this isn't, and like more than anything, that's kind of the important thing and the biggest thing I learned with, with uh, Howard is that like, yeah, just sometimes physique and talent is more important than, you know, your technique or whatever. And that's the difference between Howard and someone like Davenport where Davenport, really great technique. He's just a limited athlete and there's only so much you can get out of a player like that. Who is the Redskins tackle who's just basically a physical freak? Trent Williams. Yeah. I mean, that's just massive. You can't get around him. It's not like he's any good or any fast or does anything special. He's just... You know, he's like 6'6", 320 pounds and, you know, can take three steps faster, three steps back fast and the ball's out. Mm-hmm. And I think Dwayne Brown's really kind of built similarly to Howard too. Like Brown, like he's just, he's so wide that he's impossible to get around, even in whatever you're able to get, you know, a little bit of an advantage during your rush too. So are you, are you disappointed that Howard couldn't play left tackle at all and that he, you know, was kind of pigeonholed at right? Uh, or are you just glad that the Texans were able to find you know, two tackles in an offseason, even though it took you know three first-round picks and a second-round pick to make it happen? No, I, I think he should have been a left tackle. That, that's just a, a trust issue. Um, they brought in Laramie Tunsil. They spent two first-round picks on it because they did not believe Titus Howard was ready. And that that's nothing against Titus Howard. That's against the organization being not being able to develop nor get hit, get the rest of the offensive line in a position. I would be scared for Deshaun Watson's life if Tyus Howard had to play left tackle. But it's just they had to spend too much to get this offensive line set. I think eventually Tyus Howard can play left tackle, but I don't know what in the world they would do with Laramie Tunsil because that guy cannot play any other position. Yeah, I mean, I guess Tunsil could play guard, but you wouldn't want him to do that. He played that, I think, his first year and a half in the league, and he was good at it. Like, I I remember watching, because I really liked uh, Jay Ajayi, like, three years ago, and watched plenty of Tunsil video guard, and he was good at it. Uh, But yeah, I mean, I think pretty much going forward, you're going to see Howard and Tunsil as the tackles, and the only way you'd ever see Howard play left tackles if something happened to Tunsil, and even that may not even be the best option, because we saw that happen this season. Whenever Tensel got hurt yeah, he against Jacksonville, it. yeah, they just put Chris Clark in left tackle instead, and uh, and so how much is that because MCL injury? I don't know, but I mean overall, I think I like I I did like uh, Howard this year. I think he's good. I don't think he's like one of the best rookies, and I don't think he was one of the best rookie offense tackles, and one of the best rookies in the league. And he's tremendous or anything. I think he's a he's a foundation here. And there's a lot of technique things and things he needs to improve on to be you know, really good going forward. But I do think he has the potential to be really good. He just isn't that just yet. I believe the NFL did vote him like one of the, the tackles of the of the year for like rookie tackle of the year along with Jawan Taylor from Jacksonville. So yeah. I think it was those, you know, you know, but I mean, he was also a first round pick. You would expect that out of him. Mm-hmm. And I, I mean, the other options were McGarry, who didn't really start playing well. Like McGarry was weird this year because he was a better pass blocker than a run blocker. And then whenever Lynch, yeah. I didn't see any game. That's not what I would have said. The only bad McGarry game you have is against Watt, where Watt just beamed with rips and Ryan held on the ball a little bit. Uh, But yeah, he was like, he just really wasn't like a really great run blocker. And so Lindstrom came back towards the end of the year and they're both really working well together. And that was uh, cool to see. But the other options are Cody Ford or McGarry and everybody else had moved to guard including Risner, including, you know, Sharping as well too. And then Jonah Williams didn't get to play this year and he'll be back next year. So it, it was, yeah, like, I mean, I guess Howard's kind of deserving that portion of it, but I don't think it really means a lot as far as what he did for Houston this year 
in his actual talent level. I think he's more of a potential guy at the moment than a a a really good football player. Yeah, I think I'm on the like I kind of agree there. There's just there's talent. It's just this offseason and the injury. Let's see what happens. It's I think this this draft actually is kind of like we know who we have. Like like there, there's I already wrote an article. Like there's either the studs or the duds, and there really isn't much in the middle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and speaking of duds, the biggest one from this draft class, I guess I don't know. It depends if if existence um, factors into being a dud or not. But in round two, the Texans first selected a cornerback in Lonnie Johnson. The Texans' pass defense was bad in 2018. You may not have thought it was bad because you like to look at things like passing yards, but by an efficiency metric, it was bad. Their pass rush was wide and clowny, nothing else. Uh, Sharif's Wright was the number two cornerback, and it took you know, Zach Pascal to show their entire league that Sharif's Wright isn't good. And it, ended up, it ended up being the reason why the Texans lost the playoffs last year, and it was the same reason why they lost this year. Um, they took Lonnie Johnson to the spot and Lonnie Johnson last year, he allowed 8.7 yards in 10th, which was 147th. And these numbers are according Ooh. to football outsiders, advanced starting data. Um, he had a success rate of 48%, which is 122nd. He averaged 11.9 yards per in the air per target, which was 99th. And he allowed six and a half yards after the catch, which I think is the worst statistic here, which was 197th. Um, I know last year I didn't like the Johnson pick, not because I don't think Johnson could be good, but Johnson wasn't good coming out of Kentucky. He wasn't good last year. And at that spot, the Texans needed a cornerback who could play you know, right away and immediately. And Johnson wasn't that. And he wasn't that all last year as well, too. Um, like he's a great, like he's a great physical specimen. He's tall, he's strong, he's quick. I think he'd be a lot better in like a cover three scheme or maybe even playing safety one day as well but as far as being like a man man to man coverage corner he isn't that and he wasn't in uh, in 2018 so Kenneth what do you make of Johnson's rookie season I'll ask you a question do you believe that players should get fined for bullying for bullying uh no but I don't think you, I think the the penalty for taunting I think is warranted when you you get in someone else's face and on the ground that sort of thing so if you bully a player around the field for an entire game, you sh- there shouldn't be a fine? No, I think it's the nature of the game. I, I Then I guess you're like Travis Kelsey off this time because in the, the playoff game, if you watch every single play from the moment that the, the Chiefs start making their comeback, they are picking on Lonnie Johnson. It is obvious that he was outmanned, outmatched, and it was getting to him by the end of the third quarter. Uh, that was it's probably one of the most dramatic things to watch, just putting a spotlight on him and seeing him crumble. Mm-hmm. Well, and I they I think they tried to do the same thing in their previous matchup, but there was that weird penalty that wasn't a penalty that was called. Um, there was those weird drops by Kelsey as well, too. I think Johnson was very fortunate that what happened in the divisional round didn't happen in their first matchup in um, week five as well, too. But yeah, I mean, that playoff game, it was. I think Kelsey was... I think I have the numbers memorized. He had 10 catches on 13 targets for 134 yards and three touchdowns. I think I that's think what it was. Close. I think he might have had two. I don't think he got that third. I know, he had, I know he had three Wait. touchdowns, and I think the 134 yards is off. I think maybe 132. It's so bad. It's so bad. Uh, but let's, let's talk to these fans and continue to talk about the game. Honestly, it was just he, he didn't have the raw knowledge of the defense yet. Um, I did not like how he played in the slot. I think he wasn't ready for fast guys. I think when he was, he he ran a four five forty, so you'd expect him to be able to kind of hang with some of the faster receivers. 
he would get blown away. Um, he'd get outmanned by tight ends. And that just was not someone something that he could guard. Um, he just did not play good football this year. I can't find it, but there was an article I also wrote that he got picked on by Phillip Rivers. Uh, he had to guard Keenan Allen mm-hmm. when I think Jonathan Joseph had to leave the game. That uh, I think was week three. And he, it was just it was a massacre after that. And it was it's just something that he isn't gonna. I don't I don't expect much out of him. Yeah, and that that Los Angeles game I remember about that game too was that like third down conversion he gave up to Mike Williams, but there's the holding penalty of Trent Scott that negated it, and then Phil yeah, Rivers faced that two those two long on third and fourth down was able to convert and Houston won after that. Oh, I, he would just get abused sometimes. I can't I can't put names to faces in in these games, but it's it's so hard because when you're going you're watching the game, all the corners kind of look the same, right? And so you're you just don't see what's happening. Then when you rewatch the game, you watch the film, see like the end zone view, you get to see who's guarding who, and it just it was all too often that Lonnie was kind of the the source of a lot of these teams' uh, yards late in the game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I know that. Let's talk about if we want to talk about that Kansas City game a little bit more. I mean, what happened in that game was Houston played one safety deep as they played all year, and it was Mike Adams in that game, and that's just and to take did, away yeah, the deep Gibson pass. So much, yeah, because Gibson was out, and Gibson played like forty five snaps against Tennessee for whatever reason, and his back got so bad in that game he couldn't play anymore. So you have Mike Adams starting a playoff game as their deep middle, and he pretty much just bracketed Tyreek Hill the entire game. So like you can a lot of people say, well, Roby, you know, locked down Hill, Hill had. You know, four catches that game, but he drew you know, two or three defenders the entire time, which leads to Kelsey playing one versus one against Lane Johnson, which is a matchup that, yeah, and yeah, and that's a matchup he absolutely torched uh, him throughout that one too. I think the weirdest thing about Lane Johnson for me is that he has the size and he has the speed, but he can't play tackle, he can't tackle, and he can't play press coverage at all despite his size. Uh, so, do you have any? future at all or any future hope at all for Johnson? Is this just a bad rookie year or do you think he's, or is this going to be something that's going to continue throughout his entire career? Look, I think Kareem Jackson had like the all-time worst rookie year. It, it was miserable. It was like, we, we didn't know what was going on. So it can't be worse than that. And you also know because of that, he can rebound. However, I didn't see it when we were watching film of him in, uh, as like a, a senior at Kentucky make plays that made him worthy of a second-round pick. Um, the, in, this, in the draft, there was a hard run on corners in the second round. Mm-hmm. And once we got to uh, our picks, we were kind of at the top of the, third ra- uh, top of the third tier of guys, and they went with him. He doesn't seem like a Bill O'Brien guy. He doesn't have, like, this great background. He didn't do too much at Kentucky. And so it just, he was just kind of a mystery coming out of college for this team. And I don't know how well he'll be able to bounce back. Yeah, and when the Texans selected too, so DeAndre Baker was went 30th overall in the first round. He was the only cornerback taken the first round. I still don't understand DeAndre Baker. I don't think I ever will. He was bad last he year. He a terrible year. Yeah, just like getting beat on vertical passes on the sideline. And even watching his film in college, I, I didn't understand him at all and why he was lauded uh, so highly. And then the second round, it was Byron Murphy, Rocky Sin, Sean Murphy Bunning to Tampa, Trayvon Mullen to Oakland, and then Joan Williams to the Patriots, Greedy Williams to the Browns, and then it fell all the way down Lonnie Johnson, 54th. And so there was a, a big run of cornerbacks. 
in the second round after you know, nobody was really taking the first round as well too. How, how did Greedy Williams do this year? I know he was supposed to be like the number one guy going to like the top five picks, and then all of a sudden, poof, he like isn't going to be a first round draft pick the, the week of. Yeah, I've, he didn't. He was injured a lot last year, but when he played, he was pretty good. I think teams are afraid of his size because he's like you know six two. He's like six one, one hundred eighty pounds or whatever. And then also wow. there's all that stuff too that he can't tackle. And one of my favorite things about watching him play his rookie year was that he tackled like he didn't miss a lot of tackles at all. And uh, it was kind of fun to see that kind of flipped around too. And also like if you have a cornerback that can't tackle, it's okay. It's not in the world. They can always push guys yeah. out of bounds and stuff if they're smart. I think I think greedy falling down to you know that far was was really kind of absurd. I mean, the guy who had the best year was uh, Chauncey Gardner Johnson for the Saints. I mean, that guy came out of nowhere and had a miraculous year. Like, what I would give to bring him on this team, he could play and the slot. Can play like on he can guard your number one. He was so good. And then also another three name guy like Sean Murphy Bunting had a great year for Tampa Bay. A guy also didn't really like have that much hype going in. Um, Drafting corners is so hard because if you're going to watch film, if they're getting the ball thrown at them, that means the quarterback thinks that their their person is open. So unless they're like a grade A corner and can trick a, a your average college quarterback, they're actually getting targeted because they the, the wide receiver they're guarding is open. Mm-hmm. So watching film is not always indicative of how good a cornerback is. And that's why it, it just drafting a cornerback in the first round is so tough. Um, and I know there's a guy who they think might go like number two this year at corner. Yeah, the guy from Ohio State. Um, mm-hmm. I looked at I looked at the numbers real quick, and Greedy Williams had a broken tackle rate of twenty three percent. Lonnie Johnson was at twenty four percent, and huh. like and so like Greedy was higher than I expected him to be. He made some tackles in a few of the games too. I think he'll be fine going forward. Uh, I mean, I'm not completely out on Lonnie Johnson personally. Like his his rookie year was not unexpected at all for me at all whatsoever. I really wasn't expect. I'm still not expecting anything from Lonnie until probably like his third year in the league or so. He was just so far and away from being a good cornerback in Kentucky, and this was really just like a draft pick that was based off of you know athleticism and potential, not really what he can do right now at the moment. And he's a guy who's big who can't play press. He's a guy who gets lost out breaks and man coverage. He uh, he's kind of like you know he gets lost off stuff because he doesn't have the elite quickness at all. Uh, he's just he's like a he's just like a, a test tube, you know. He's some genetic modification, but he's not really a great <laughs> football player at the moment. So I still think he's he'd be Brandon Carr for the Cowboys. Would you say? Yeah, I, I mean, like, like any... a guy who kind of like can bounce around a little bit, uh-huh. knows how to make plays, but like isn't always a good finisher. I could see that, and I mean, like even. Like I think he'd be better off in a cover three defense. Like I think he'd be better off in San Francisco or you know Seattle or any team that runs a lot of cover three. Like even Kansas City runs a pretty good amount of it. Uh, but with a team like Houston that plays a lot of man, I don't really like him there that much. I think it's gonna take him some more time to become a good man coverage cornerback if he ever does it all. Uh, but I mean, what I guess do you think his ceiling is? His ceiling. I think his ceiling. I well, I was about to say I think his ceiling is higher than his floor, which is how that whole thing works. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's how you build a house. Yeah. I don't know. I don't really I don't really know. Like I think his ceiling is probably because of his athleticism, maybe your number one cornerback is his, I guess is a ceiling, like number one like a number one cornerback starter, but I think the percent chance that happens is maybe like five percent or so. 
I think a lot of things right. have to happen correctly for that to fall in place. But he does have the body type to become a really good player. No, he has the he again, like this draft was except for a couple players was all about having the physical assets. Like he has what you need. It's just he needs to kind of get it in the right mind play right right mind space, which this first year did not do for him. Um, he is a good corner if he has a lot around him, which he doesn't right now. You know, it, it's hard to build a house if you don't have like a roof on top of it. And so when the water is pouring, he gets flooded. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you don't have a good pass rush in front of you too. Yeah, and I think last year also my my favorite cornerback I didn't know about him and talked to the draft happened was Jamal Dean from Tampa Bay because his numbers are absurd. It's like yeah, he's six two and he runs a you know four three three forty bench pressed you know, 225, like 18 times or whatever. And he had a really good last year. He had a really good year last year too, except from his one really bad game he had against Arizona, I think it was. Uh, but like, he's a guy who also is like a really great athlete who fell for, you know, whatever reason. I wouldn't say Johnson fell, but he's a, like, they're kind of like similar where they're really great athletes and uh, Dean had a much better year too in the third round pick. But I mean, overall for me and Johnson, it's that this year isn't a surprise he was he wasn't very good in college. I don't think it necessarily dictates how his career is going to be. But this was an unexpected. And I do I will stick with for sure. This was a bad pick because the Texas need cornerback help this year, and they didn't get it in the draft. And their pass defense fell from you know like twenty second DVA to twenty seventh, and then the worst short pass defense in football, and you know so many other things. And I think one of the reasons for that was because they didn't find somebody who could contribute in a meaningful way in the NFL draft this year. Yeah, and they drafted two corners. One didn't play. One didn't help. Yeah, uh, and we have one listener question regarding Lonnie Johnson, Kenneth, and that was from Y Song underscore. And he asked, "Will Lonnie Johnson be moved to safety eventually?" He played safety versus Kansas City at times. That's such a cop out. Like, if he's not a good corner, he can play safety. Like, that just doesn't work. It's a completely different skill set. It's basically, it's completely different, like moving from right tackle to left guard. You're using an entirely different, like, way to play the game. I don't think he would actually be a good safety just because he's tall. He doesn't know how to hit, he doesn't attack the run very well. I think he's a more of an outside corner. Like, give him that position, let him stay there. Then if you move him to safety, I think that would put a lot too much pressure on him. He's not fast enough. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I completely agree. I think he's much better off as being an outside corner. And I don't, it's not like Kareem Jackson where he's like a murderer in his shoulder pads or the paintbrush and the blood of the ball carriers are his paints where he's a (laughs) a tremendous tackler and, uh, and run defender who, and also like fits him very well, like attacking the ball, that sort of thing. I don't see that with Johnson, and so I think for sure he's an outside zone cornerback. Um, and lastly, with Johnson, my last question for you is: since the Texans do have a new defense coordinator, Anthony Weaver, do you think do you have any greater hopes for him in this defense potentially? And he won't do things like leave a one versus one against Travis Kelsey. Well, the whole Travis Kelsey thing is because Dylan Cole was out. Uh, when we beat the Chiefs, what they did was. Box Travis Kelsey with Dylan Cole underneath and then Tayshawn Gibson over the top. And neither of those players were available. So that was just a bad omen for that game entirely. In terms of Lonnie Johnson, I think he had, I mean, he was a second round pick because of the raw skills that he possesses. And, you know, this first year is going to be a learning lesson. He can turn it around. I think he will have a much better year. 
but that isn't saying much for how bad his rookie season was. Yeah, yeah, I think it's a great way to put it as well, too. So immediately after Lonnie Johnson, the Texans selected Max Sharping the second round. Wasn't now, that so much fun, by the way? Like having two picks back-to-back? Yeah, it was great, because after that it happened, you could just move on with your life immediately. <laughs> Especially with the second round being its own day, how they do it nowadays, too. Oh, yeah. You kind of like you felt like you own the space. Like, this is our time. Like, let us have our moment. We'll be on the stage. And then, like, we'll get off for the next, like, three hours. Yeah. Uh, and so I know you and I have talked about sharping before. And so, like, sharping was I didn't like sharping because I watched him as a right tackle. And this will kind of fit into whenever we talk about Charles as well. Um, I didn't like sharping as a tackle prospect because I didn't think his pass set would translate to the professional game. It was a lot of sliding. It was a lot of turning. His hands weren't particularly great. And also, he played in offense in Northern Illinois with the mobile quarterback who got the ball out quickly. And so, I saw so many PFF stats last year, like, oh, Sharping only gave up X amount of pressures. And, you know, as a, as, you know, in college or whatever, isn't that great? But again, the context really wasn't lacking there for it. And so, I wasn't watching Sharping at all from him playing guard. And I think hit the job he did at guard was, I think he was a good guard this year. Uh, I think, or I guess I think he was a fine guard this year. And I think he would have been really bad right tackle and could have possibly been a disaster because of his pass set. But whenever they moved him inside, it kind of changes what, uh, a lot of things that we wrote and talked about him last year specifically, whenever we went through all of our offensive line, you know, offensive tackle discussions. Do you just like sim- simple little tangent? Do you know who was drafted after Max Sharping? Was it was it Risner? It was not. This is a it's a wide receiver. I guess I'm gonna look it up because I don't know. Oh, it was Miko Hardman for Kansas. It was Miko Hardman. The Miko Hard- Hardman, and then like the last pick in the second draft was like, of course, DK Metcalf. Uh-huh. Uh, I actually enjoyed watching Max Sharping. He was like the ultimate like point guard assist man on the offensive line he never like I, I, there was something teams never went after him they always attack nick martin or they attacked laramie tunsil so max did a really good job of like helping everyone out it just when it came when he was one-on-one he would get overwhelmed uh, he wasn't good as like the solo person he was actually really good kind of as the assist and so I see Max, and we can talk about this more later, taking his next step instead of moving outside to tackle for a lot of the reasons in his technique that you mentioned, actually stepping in and playing center once Nick Martin's contract is over. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. And I guess, first off, I think that's a really great point by calling me a point guard. I think what Sharping did you know, really well, I think the best part of the Texans offensive line were those deuce blocks, those strong double teams that he had with Larry Tunsil. Where I mean, they would just drive that first level defender, you know, sometimes six yards down the field, and easily plop off to linebackers, and you give Carlos Hyde three yards of space to break through from the line of scrimmage. And I think that was the best part of, the, of their of their entire blocking scheme. I also think Sharping worked pretty well, Nick Martin too, on ace blocks, and even some quick quick backside scoops as well. And I think uh, they were a great tandem. That was probably the biggest improvement compared to last year. Was like Senio Calamente and Nick Martin were not on uh, the same page. Yeah, that's like a great point. Guys, they, they played very well together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and like even him in pass blocking too. Like I think the biggest difference between him and let's say Xavier Suafio before was that Suafio would whiff and he would like he would make like you know nine percent of his blocks or whatever. 
but whenever he'd whiff, he'd whiff completely and horribly bad. That would lead to, you know, quick sacks and awful plays that you know, Watson no ability to break out of. And so like when Sharping whiffs, it was like bull rushes where he's retreating and Clayus Campbell goes through him. Or and like whenever he's isolated one versus one, but he at least puts up enough of a fight that gives the quarterback the time to break out of. It's not him, you know, falling forward on his face and you know, Watson sacked in one point three seconds, that sort of thing. Max got more overwhelmed than got than, than made mistakes. He seems like a really smart player. The way he kind of like goes about his, the way he seems very procedural. Like, okay, if not this, then this guy. If like the guy is passing here, then I do this. And so once he takes like the, this next off season to kind of put the pieces together, it'll be a lot more fluid. And I think that'll actually help Laramie Tunsil a lot because Tunsil would be put on an island because Max Sharping isn't really fast enough to get out there. And mm-hmm. so I think once he kind of takes that step, has a little bit more confidence, um, and his technique improves, which like we know is important for him, like I think that'll be really helpful for that entire side to have chemistry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I also just the amount of blitzes they missed together, those two, uh, they have yes. really had problems like shifting gaps over who has who, and they gave a lot of sacks because of it, and then being able to spin you know entire year together by understanding blitz schemes, how pass players off and. Uh, you know, knowing what to do when they get certain looks, I think will also pay you enormous dividends for next season too. Yeah, I heard that Max like wasn't like the biggest like locker room guy. He was kind of quiet, a little bit more of a shy type. And I think you know, get him around Laramie Tunsil a little bit, and I think he might loosen up. Yeah, and speaking of Tunsil, like how much of like Sharping season do you attribute to like his success in 2019? Do you attribute to playing left guard next to Tunsil, or do you think Sharping is just a good player on his own? I actually think there's more that he played next to Nick Martin. Those two guys were buddy-buddy and played very well together. And because he was playing next to Larry Tunsil, he probably saw a lot more complex blitz packages than like what he was he would have done if he played on the right side. Um, although if you put two rookies, you would have just gotten pure pressure on that side. Um, I think playing next to Tunsil is a good place for him. Um, it does give a little bit more the opportunity for teams to put pass rush against both of them together, just like to flood the side, like you would see Buffalo do. They would just bring two or three guys from that, from one side and just overwhelm them. But I think it's a good place for him right now. He has, I don't, I don't think he has the ceiling like some of the other guys that we drafted, but I think he'll be like a consistent player in the league. Yeah, no, I I think so too. I think he's solid. I think the one thing that really hurt him last year for moving to tackle to guard was just the strength portion of it. Like if he was one versus one against the defensive tackle, he would be able to size them up. His feet were good. He'd have like he'd be set up to be able to drive the tackle out. He just didn't have the strength to do so, and he his feet would stop moving, and he'd throw his body into him, and nothing would really happen. He just isn't strong enough, I think, right now to play guard. But his pat, but his pat level is really good, though. At the same time, so it's not a leverage thing. It's not him being six six and just being too high and having these smaller defensive tackles getting underneath him. He just doesn't have the strength at the moment. And so I think he's one guy. I think for sure, if he's going to stick at guard, you know, long term, he's a guy who has to get strong and be able to play that position. And if he does so, I think he'll be able to play guard well. Um, I couldn't see him playing tackle, and if he did play tackle, he'd have to learn how to pass block entirely as an offensive tackle, which is something he hasn't shown before previously That's in his career. That's not something you can do. I mean, going from a Northern Illinois locker room and weight room to like an NFL program, I think he'll probably take an entire leap this offseason and like growing and like putting on muscle. You know, he kind of came in, from my understanding, 
a little chubby, a little bit slow, but then like as the year go on, he like got a little bit more lean and like figured out how to use his body weight. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know. I'm also excited to go back and watch that gaming is the division round just because he had a pro football focus grade of 90.4 or whatever. And I want to see what 9.4 looks like because he was the highest grade offensive player in that game. And I know just kind of too watching the Texans offensive line a lot the past few days. They just, and even throughout the entire year, they just don't ask their guys to make a lot of tough blocks. I think they ask think Mar to make the toughest blocks in the offensive line. And everybody yes. else, it's a lot of double teams. It's a lot of one versus one blocks. Uh, they use Darren Fells way more than they ever should have. He gets tasked a lot of tough blocks they can't make as well, too. But like a lot of stuff like you know, Howard had to do last year and Sharping and you know, Tensel had to do last year weren't really all that difficult. They didn't ask a whole lot from those guys in their scheme. No, you would expect that because none of these players were on the same or on the team a week until like a week before. You know, they added Laramie Tunsil the week uh, of Max Sharping's a rookie. Nick Martin, you know, he's been in the league for a couple years. Um, Fulton has been on the team, but like, you know, he's been injured. He's been healthy. He's been injured. He's been healthy. And then you have a rookie at tackle. I mean, we were supposed to bring in Matt Khalil. We were supposed to bring, there's Senio Calamante was on this offensive line at one point. Like, I don't know who, like where he is in the world. And then Sean Trell Henderson was also supposed to play right tackle. And there was just this mix and none of them knew how to play with each other. Mm -hmm. There was just zero chemistry. So it makes sense that there wasn't consistency and fluidity and they knew how to do complex blocks they were just trying to get used to being around each other mm-hmm. yeah i i think i think you really hit hit it very well there and i think even like going back to 18 as well too like there's so much complaints about the offensive line being bad but every single week it was a new starting five like every single week there was something you know, bill o'brien i describe it as a waterbed where he rolled around his sleep and you know it slosh a different direction now you have a new starting unit and that happened a little bit this year as well too with calamante starting week one and the not and then them doing the junior varsity thing with Robert Johnson, Chris Clark subbing in for another at right tackle oh, too. Oh yeah, they did that for the entire season, like yeah. per play. Yeah, and even at left tackle as well. Uh, it was it was bizarre. And so I, I think there's an idea too about cutting Fulton to save seven million dollars this year. I'm kind of against it just because the Texans could bring back their starting five from last year, this year, and they're and I think by keeping Fulton there, even though he probably isn't worth. $7 million, you at least keep another year-to-year consistency factor too. I think just all these guys being in these same spots, playing at these same lo- situations again next year will be very important too. Um, so real quick, I want to, I guess, ask you, so why are, do you envision Sharping playing center? Is it just because of his pad level, his hand usage? Uh, why Why do you think you could see him moving there in the future? So I watched a lot of offensive line film this year, which like is a good thing and like also makes me want to drink a little bit. But I watched him play a lot closer to Nick Martin in terms of like technique than he did than like Laramie Tonsil. I think the transition to being a center would be either would be a lot smoother. Um, the way he takes on blocks, he just drops his trunk as low as it can go and uses all the weight that he has. He would really he would really struggle against you know those three hundred and thirty pound like Vince Wilfork types. Like, you know, he, those DJ reader guys will push him back, but I think he has that down better than if he would move out. Like in, if I would ask you, okay, where would he be an elite player? Would he be an elite center guard or tackle? I think the only thing I would see him be his being an elite center. Yeah. I would, I guess I lean towards guard just because of his height. You know, but you don't really see very many great six foot six centers. And it's just because of, 
you know, how quick they are to the ball, how quick everything is for, like how, how, how immediate the pressure is. And so even though like it's hard to snap and step to begin with, and then it's even harder to snap and step and deal with somebody who, you know, has that weight and that pad leverage against you where it's a lot easier to create it in that environment than it is at the guard perspective, um, where he's able to take two steps instead of one step to make contact. No, I think like there are obviously some like his size and speed don't really fit a center, but I think his play technique kind of matches it better. Like I, I think he is a good guard. I think he has a much higher ceiling at center. Um, just like as a, a whole hypothesis, I think like we could we you move him there after Nick Martin leaves, and then we bring in like a, a top tier corner and like that i mean a top tier corner um a top tier left guard i think that's like such a really good staple for this offense moving forward like long term but i i like him at left guard i don't think he's tenacious enough to play right guard um and so it's kind of also just seeing like where could we move this offensive round like offensive line around to get the best combination Mm -hmm. yeah and martin's I, I mean, I I think Martin's going to play here as long as Bill Bryan's here. He loves him so much, and oh, Martin's under yeah, contract until twenty two, age twenty nine, and uh, Houston can move on from Martin next year, hypothetically. And like Martin's, and he's become an average center. Uh, I think he's pretty. I think he's underrated now because so many people you know, dogged on him earlier in his career whenever he just didn't do a whole lot. But I think he's gotten better, and especially at blocking like the second level and that sort of thing. And you know, he's he has to do a lot of uh, just tough stuff to the position. But we'll just have to dis- disagree on you know sharpening playing center. I think he'll be best off at uh, guard moving forward. And so we had a, a listener question about sharpening, and that's from Carlos Flores at CLF nine six one two zero five. I think we adequately, or more than adequately, we did a spectacular and beautiful job describing the positives and negatives about Max Sharping. But do you have a positive player comparison for him, Kenneth? Oh, because I I I was just really struggling. I couldn't uh, think of a tall like a tackle who's really tall moving to guard and having like a consistently good season at that spot. You know. Yeah, I you know doing comparisons is like a huge weak point for me. Like whenever I do, whenever I'm looking through the draft, I always have a hard time like putting one guy against another i, I kind of want to start doing research like right now and figuring out who he could be compared to i, I think i got one i think he's better this play? at the same time uh yeah it's fine three all right two one michael schofield what did you say i said michael schofield but i think he's better than michael schofield you think like, so? yeah he has a he has a similar body type though and schofield played guard for los angeles and he was actually Pretty good there. He was better there than he was at tackle in his previous seasons. Um, but yeah, I didn't think of a similar body type. I just think Sharping's already a better player than Schofield is. I, I think maybe Ronald Leary. That's a big. That's probably a bigger guy than than Max Sharping is. Um, although I am five five, so everyone's a big guy next to me. Um, I think that. I think I also do like um, him compared to. Um, David DeCastro, they they kind of like got like this long build, but are pretty sturdy and stout. And I think that that might be like who I think he would be ne- good neck uh, compared to, compared to. Okay, yeah, I can. I don't know. If, I'm just trying to think about how. Yeah, I mean DeCastro is a tall guard. He's six foot five. Um, DeCastro is one of the best players in the league as well too. So I can yeah. see that as from as far as like a body and height spot. Yeah, exactly. That's what but, I was kind of looking at. 
I mean, if Sharping gets stronger, though, that's a that's the type of player that maybe you can expect him to be. Because, like, Sharping is, like, he has the feet to play guard and to make blocks that are really difficult that a lot of guards can't make. I think for him going forward, it's just going to be all about, about strength. And I think you made a, a, I think you were really, I think you were right earlier when you said, yeah, there's a big difference between, you know, eating and lifting weights in Northern Illinois compared to doing that in Houston with Brian Cushing. And so I think he is a guy who can uh, get stronger immediately for this upcoming season. That was part one of our two-part podcast discussing the Houston Texans 2019 draft class. Make sure to listen to part two. In part two, we discuss Kali Waring, Charles Omenihu, Xavier Crawford, and of course, Colin Gillespie. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com.